Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. This week we talk about some great Australian scientific biomedical research. From ways to make our lab on a chip more efficient to enable us to test a whole variety of samples really quickly without a lot of waste, to ways to boost our immune systems and a prize for an amazing piece of research that basically follows in another bacteria's tracks. One of the big challenges for drug development and discovery is having enough material that you, of your new drug that you've made to actually test And if you're going through litres upon litres of this new drug that you're making, well, it can be quite expensive, very, very time-consuming, and also just difficult, especially when you're trying to work in a research group across the world. And researchers from Griffiths University Institute for Drug Discovery, GRID, led by Dr. Heiswa Tan, have developed a novel new method for making what they call a lab on a chip that uh, has a very intricate way of measuring and undertaking these tests using a fraction, a tiny fraction of of drug required than previously. And instead of using microliter size of drug to test and analyze drug compounds, they're using picoliter droplets, picoliter. That's an immense number of 10s to the negative, which is 10 to the negative 12 liters, rather than microliter, which is 10 to the negative three, just for those of you playing along with your units at home. And these chips that they're conducting this research on are only about the size of a $2 coin, which means that the amount of material that they need to test and analyse is about 10,000 times less than what's required by conventional methods. And that's pretty great because it means that they have 10,000 times more throughput and at about 1,000 times lower the cost of a conventional place-based testing method. That's really, really interesting because they can use this then to test all kinds of new drugs and screen them without having to waste extra money and time on making large volumes of them. So the way in which the testing method works is they take the biological material, such as the protein that they want to analyse, and they encapsulate it in these very small sized droplets, and then screen these using suitability by adding them the other various different drug types or candidates they want to test against. So basically by shrinking everything down to these pico droplet size, they actually can have really incredible analysis and test mechanisms that take very little time and very little volumes of drugs. Now, these kind of lab on a chips have been around for a while, but Dr. Tan's research centers around using negative pressure and basically building up a small pressure circuit in the same way that we build up a small electrical circuit and controlling it using width pulse width management, much in the same way as we control most things electrically with pulse width management. And basically, by pulsing the pressure on and off in varying frequencies, you actually get really, really tight and accurate control of the amount of fluid being pulled into the system, which is what is enabling him to be able to suck in only a picoliter of fluid rather than the microliter that is being required previously. Now, that immense tight control is then connected up to a camera who is also studying and analysing this at the same time, gives him the ability to basically build a really sophisticated testing mechanism that requires incredibly tiny amounts of fluid to actually undertake the tests. And this is great because it sort of opens up a whole new avenue of this lab on a chip type investigations. 
which is great because we have for years been trying to find new ways to analyze fluids on a micro scale. Microfluidics is a huge area of research, but in the last let's say 10 years, that research period has really slumped off. All the easy wins were achieved. We got a good understanding of how the microfluids would work, but we were struggling to make any more advancements beyond that. The rate of new papers published in the field, for example, dropped around 2% over than the uh, 2% growth increase per year, rather than the 25% it was seeing just uh, 10 years ago. So the easy wins were gone, and researchers were looking for new ways to try and undertake experiments and improve the methods. And researchers use often a lot of different things. A direct electrical control is great, but it's pretty expensive and you don't get enough accuracy at the time. But it was the first way we sort of approached the problem. We also have other methods involving thermal control using heated plates and heat exchangers, which was a pretty much a dominant method at the moment. Um, or you could do the same thing with lasers, making small cal- cavitation bubbles to control the flow of liquid, which is great, but difficult to scale. Uh, as well as magnetic control, uh, which is also pretty amazing, but it requires certain types of material, and you need to in- introduce ferrofluids and so on to control the stream. So it wasn't really an ideal method. And so that's why these hydraulic and pneumatic control type methods, or vacuum methods, are actually pretty great, because they give you some really simple mechanisms that can be scaled up or down without much difficulty. So lab-on-a-chip mechanisms are a great way to study and identify new drugs for treatments simply, cheaply, and quickly, because you don't require much volume of the, of the material that you're trying to test and analyze. There's still a lot of work to do before we can make these small enough and reliable enough that we can distribute them widely and use also in terms of diagnosis and treatment too. But every little step along the way helps a lot, and this is some great work being done out of University of Griffith in Queensland and Dr. Tarn and his team. T-cells play an important role in our immune system, and that protects us from autoimmune diseases is everything from type 1 diabetes, Crohn's disease, and rheumatoid arthritis. But a recent study published in the journal Experimental Medicine by Monash's Biomedicine Discovery Unit have shown how a specific enzyme protein known as tyrosine phosphatase N2, or PTPN2, can actually have a crucial role in early T-cell development and decreased levels of this enzyme leading to development of autoimmune diseases. This is some groundbreaking research that can help show the importance of T-cell development and a key enzyme that we can either help boost or monitor to make sure that we don't develop autoimmune diseases. So what are T-cells to start with? Well, T-cells are a type of white blood cell that circulates around our body, and they basically act as police, scanning for cellular abnormalities and infections. And that's really, really important because it's part of our immune system, and not just a part, but the essential part of the immune system. If you don't have the normal number of just even one type of T-cells, you can end up in all types of trouble. And that's something that happens when you have, for example, HIV-AIDS. Now, there are different types of T-cells, and they're in really two categories. Killer T-cells that are like the hunter-killer 
SWAT team of T-cells and the helper T-cells that are more like your local police beat cop. And killer T-cells have this kind of X-ray vision. They're able to see inside known cells by scanning their surface. And that enables killer T-cells to hunt down and destroy cells that are infected with germs or have become cancerous. So they're really, really important. Now, the other type of T-cells, helper T-cells, help orchestrate and direct immune response. And they basically help keep you protected from anything coming in. And they're basically the key role in immune response. Basically, your immunity and things like vaccines all rely on these helper T-cells. But T-cells are not just important for everything from actual immune response. They also play a key role in helping understand when organs, transplanted organs, are rejected or accepted. Because if a T-cell classifies this new organ in your body as a foreign invading particle, they will kill it. And thus helping understand the processes around T-cells, incredibly important for organ transplant, all autoimmune diseases, including diabetes, multiple sclerosis, arthritis, and so on. And there's even some speculation that it is involved in some specific types of allergic reactions, such as gluten intolerance. So that's why T-cells are important. And this late study by Dr. Florian Vida and Jared Dukadov and the team of researchers out of Monash University's Biomedical Discovery Institute have been trying to identify what helps govern and control the development of T-cells. And what they identified is this P2PN2 protein enzyme actually has a crucial role in the early stages of T-cell development. And if you don't have enough of this enzyme present in any levels in your cells, then this can lead to T-cells that aren't useful in preventing autoimmune diseases, but also actively can help promotion of development of autoimmune diseases. So what the researchers did is in studies over several years in different cohorts of cell trials, they varied the levels of PTPN2 and then monitored how these T-cells responded in attacking the own body's cells and tissues. And when they removed the gene that codes for PTPN2 in laboratory trials, so basically removing the production of this particular protein enzyme, they found that the T-cells that were actually produced skewed towards a certain type of pro-inflammatory properties. And that's quite worrying because these pro-inflammatory T-cells have been known to lead to the development of different diseases, including irritable bowel disease, IBS, Crohn's disease, and rheumatoid arthritis. So if you remove this uh, PTPN2 or change the level of it, then you actually end up with T-cells that are a bit too aggressive. They're pro-inflammatory. And inflammation, when needed, is a very important part of the autoimmune system. But when out of control, it can lead to certain diseases. The important part about all of this as well is that we can actually help change the regulation levels of PTPN2 with certain type of drug treatments. There are existing drugs that we can use to help change the responses there, which means that if we have and test and see if someone is not producing enough PTPN2, it is possible to actually introduce some drug treatments that help boost the production of PTPN2, which will help reduce the likelihood of developing a specific type of autoimmune disease around inflammation. So by understanding how these T-cells work and function, it gives us a great opportunity to actually have targeted medical treatments that can really help people suffering from a whole range of autoimmune diseases, particularly pro-inflammatory autoimmune diseases. And we now know the importance of a key protein enzyme in making sure that our immune system works correctly. And that can help lead to further studies and treatments. So some great work being done 
in conjunction with the Walter and Eliza Hall Institute, WEHI, and the Peter Doherty Institute in Australia by Monash's Biomedicine Discovery Institute. winners of the prestigious David Syme Research Prize have been announced. Now, it's an ongoing prize for the best original research in biology, physics, chemistry, or geology produced in Australia in a preceding two-year period. And it was established in 1904 as a gift from the publisher of the age at that time, David Syme. And it's administered by the University of Melbourne's Faculty of Science. One of the joint winners of the prize this year was Associate Professor Cynthia Whitechurch from the I3 Institute at the University of Technology in Sydney, UTS, for her discovery and work into bacteria and biofilms and how they follow each other like ants or four-wheel drive drivers following tracks in the sand. And she showed that, you know, by editing these microscopic tracks or creating microscopic tracks on medical devices, you can actually limit the spread of bacteria that cause infection. And since these bacteria and the biofilms that protect them sort of follow these tracks, you can actually use that to your advantage. You can direct them away from areas of risk and towards areas where they could be targeted, treated, and gotten rid of. And this is some pretty groundbreaking research, which is why she's one of the only handful of women who have been awarded this great honour of winning this prize. The last woman to win this prize was Professor Susan Corey, who was an immensely respected and well credentialed researcher in the Australian scientific community. Now, Professor Whitechurch has been spending most of her career actually investigating ways that we can better target and better treat bacteria. Because as we all know, bacterial resistance is a huge issue for facing medicine. And one of the reasons why we are trying to limit the prescription of antibiotics because bacteria, just through exposure, are getting more and more resilient and more and more resistant. And one of the things that bacteria use to protect themselves is biofilms. And these give the bacteria extra protection via antibiotics because they, they've sort of shielded from any other treatments coming in. Not only that, these biofilms can grow on implanted medical devices such as catheters or any other implants that we have in a system. So managing biofilms is an immensely important part of treating and preventing spread of bacteria. And so what Whitchurch and her group discovered is that bacteria organize themselves using a process called stigmergic. And it's, it's pretty much like a, a four-wheel drive creating tracks across the sand dunes. Once one path is formed, everyone else pretty much follows it simply because, well, it's there. You may as well walk that route if you have to walk any route. And that's exactly what this biofilm does. Once one biofilm has a pathway, everyone else will just follow that pathway. Not because they have to, but because they may as well. And this stigmergy is actually really, really common in nature, from everything from ants all the way down to zebras. So what her team then did was using the bacteria Pseudonomus aeruginosa, which is a superbug and number two on the World Health Organization's critical priority list of pathogens that need urgently to be discovered a new antibiotic. She took those and she she made small thoroughs in silicon to see if they would stop or inhibit the biofilm expansion. So basically by making some tracks of her own, she wanted to see if that she could redirect this biofilm and prevent it from spreading out any further than where it already was. 
And the results were quite astounding because her team found that, yeah, actually, these small little furrows in silicon actually prevented the biofilm from spreading and across the region. And that's incredibly important because she did this research together with a Sydney-based catheter manufacturer. And they aim to basically dramatically reduce the risk of these biofilms spreading on catheters, which is important because basically 25% of hospital patients require a catheter of some kind. And if we can spread this research out to all these hospitals, we can really limit the spread of superbugs via catheters, via the biofilm. Now, the second part of her great work in the last two years has also been around related to a related phenomenon that she calls explosive cell lysis. And basically, when a bacteria sort of is chugged along after a while, they'll basically release back public good back into the biofilm. And where the rest of the bacteria living in the biofilm go, oh, cool, thanks for the help, and carry on. The bacteria in the biofilm can basically help out the rest of the bacteria in the biofilm by sort of giving any excess that they have back into the the film itself. So it's an unusual little mechanism, but one that can have devastating effects because it just makes the biofilm healthier and healthier. And if that biofilm can spread in an uncontrolled manner, it could be even more dangerous. UTS's I3 Institute is doing a lot of work investigating how to target and stop bacteria, particularly superbug bacteria, on that target hit list of the World Health Organization. And all that work is being led by Associate Professor Cynthia Whitchurch and her team there. And that's one of the reasons she's awarded the Davidson Prize for Outstanding Scientific Research, and almost deservedly so because of her great ways to find simple and effective methods of limiting the spread of biofilms in something that has widespread application to up to 25% of all hospital patients. This has been the Young Scientist of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. From labs on a chip to boosting our immune cells and a ways to inhibit biofilms growth, we found out about some great new research all coming out of Australia. Our ending theme was composed by Audionatics. Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.